and welcome to another episode of the Obey Podcast. Today I wanted to do what we've been doing a lot lately, which is taking a few things that are a little different and synthesizing them together into a broad idea that's been kind of bounced around in my head. So we're going to start with an op-ed that was in the Epoch Times, which if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a pretty much a right, right-wing media outlet. I would say it's more of a populist right-wing media outlet. So it's less like Daily Wire, National Review, and more, 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 more Trumpy in terms of how it's oriented. And th- this article is actually, well, th- this op-ed was actually written by the editor-in-chief over there. His name is Robert Simon, or it's Roger Simon. And, uh, okay, so, so, so this came across my radar because every now and then I check the Epoch Times just to see what's going on. And they, they have a lot of news that's just slanted right wing so you can kind of get an idea of what their agenda is. And then sometimes I'll just scan the opinion section. I saw somebody mention this piece specifically in reference to people like Michael Malice on Twitter because it's titled The Case for Breaking Up the United States. And the tagline is, I'm not for secession yet, but I get closer every day. So the reason I want to talk about this is because th- th- this is really the heart of the Overton window I've discussed. It's the heart of getting secession, and not, not necessarily in a Civil War type way, but in the way of people shouldn't be governed by the hegemonic federal government in the United States, where everybody is so different from each other, e- even though I think there should probably be you know 400 country- countries where the United States is, if not none, um, either, either one or the other. Those are kind of the, 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 the polar ends that are almost the same. But at least splitting up between along party lines to some degree would still be better. So I thought this was worth talking about and checking out. So pretty much as you read through this, it talks about um, a lot of the culture wars issues that have come up. Where it talks about how all all of these problems like banning certain books or or letting transgender athletes compete in certain sports. It's kind of the author saying, you know, here's the compromise. You can do that. Just do it on your on, on your lines, and we'll go on our way and do this. So it's bringing up this very reasonable point, and even though this is a very satirical op-ed where it's kind of ma- making light of certain things and, and adding and having like little w- w- witty phrases, um, it, it, it does have a lot of truth to it, and it has a lot of basic arguments for why secession should be something that is in our cultural conversation. And, and, and it doesn't have to necessarily be, be violent, and he alludes to that, that there's no reason why it should be violent. Um, but, but, but he kind of is just saying, you guys like, and this the cultural flashpoint of the week, that, that that will be, you know, something people are still referencing. And it'll be like a BoomerCon point, and already is a BoomerCon point. But, but, but he's kind of saying, we can read Dr. Seuss here. You guys can cannot read it. That, that's fine. You guys can have transgender athletes compete against women. We won't. And as long as we both agree, we can each have it our own way, and we can both be happy as long as we split up and do our things over here and your things over here. And this is a general case for um, de- decentralization. But it's in the phrase of, we, we have two divided um, groups along party lines, so why don't we split up? And um, it, it's really interesting to see a, a Trump right-wing type 
commentator talk about it in, in the language of secession, which used to be more of a third rail. Okay, so 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 it talks about the, this and all these things. So these are essentially compromises because a lot of people say, well, that's not a compromise because you're, you're not doing a thing. But it's a compromise because each people c- 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 can do what they want to do. And this is kind of why I've always, when I was less, I guess, intellectualized in my position, I always, I always had had this joke when I'd argue with people, and we'd kind of eventually come to a stalemate or to agree to disagree moment. I, I would always kind of say say this line that, but since we can't agree, we can at least win. We we should be able to agree that me, as a small government person, should win the tie because I don't want to actually enforce a vision on you. You want the power to enforce something on me. I'm just trying to free us, and then we can both do what we want. So so tie should go to me. And this is kind of what he's saying. It's a compromise because. One side can do their thing, the other side can do their thing, and at least not, not, neither side is forcing things on each other, because at least within each of the camps, they have agreement. So why, why not split up along those lines? And, and, and this makes sense to some degree. I mean, I, I don't think you have unilateral agreement in between Republicans and Democrats and their own parties, but if you split up a nation among party lines, you're at least getting 90% of consent instead of 48% consent for, for all these uh, politicized issues. So, so there's at least something to be gained there from there. Okay, so it talks a little bit about this. It goes on for a ways, and then the last four, <laughs> the last four paragraphs really do, to some degree, undermine the whole point he's making. So he kind of talks about how the, how this is a holy compromise and it fixes everything, and then in the end, his only objection to secession and the thing that's keeping him from going on board is his boomer con neocon foreign policy stances. And then he kind of says, well, we, we, we don't really know what to do about foreign policy. And in the end, Obama compromised our foreign policy. So we do always need Republicans in power. And if we split up along party lines, we, we'd have Democrats ruining it. Um, so we just need to stay uh, as, 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 a, as a unified hegemon where we're 50% oppresses the other 50% at all times because we need to be the ones in the levers of foreign powers so that doesn't get screwed up. So in the end, the editor-in-chief of the Epoch Times if he took away foreign policy, see, it doesn't seem like he has any real um, agreement against this, uh, against the idea of secession, and he's really just honing in on how decentralization, when it comes to domestic policies, is a good thing. And this is really the main thing people like me are, are saying. I mean, I have different foreign policy views because I think the United States government doesn't really need to be doing anything it is doing on the uh, on the foreign policy front. But in the end, that, that's the only real objection by, 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 by this conservative. And I, I fail to see how things that come from the left would, would, would really counteract um, the, the Epoch Times editor-in-chief's points because they generally are, are dovish on foreign policy, so they, they wouldn't have that same objection. And the, there isn't really a good reason why they, 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 they should need to enforce the policies on the Republicans. So... I, I think it's nice to see that this kind of thing enters the mainstream and that this can be a reference point where it's not just, oh, but here's something that Michael Malice says, because people can say, who's Michael Malice? Well, he's just a guy with the podcast. As much as I love Michael Malice, he's a, he's a col- columnist at times, and he has he, he's written a couple books, but in the end, it's not like he is the editor-in-chief of a, of a populist right-wing news outlet that, for, for better or worse, gets a ton of traffic. So I think that's noteworthy. Okay, so... Well, what, what, what do I want to synthesize this with? Well, I wanted to bring up a couple things. Well, one thing is something that I guess is um, it's it's noteworthy in the political sphere since since it the, the, this article came out in September 5th of 2016, and the, this is the uh, infamous 
essay called The Flight 93 Election. And this was written by, my, my, he was written by Michael Anton um, in the Claremont Review of Books. And the, the, this, art, this essay, if you're not familiar with it, is really fa famous or infamous, depending on where you come from it. Um, well, I, I, I guess I'll just read the, the first two paragraphs, and I will get across why it's infamous, and you'll, you'll see the point that's making. 2016 is the Flight 93 election. Charge the cockpit or you die. You may die anyways. You are the leader of, of your party. May make into the cockpit and not know how to fly or land the plane. There are no guarantees, except one, if you don't try, death is certain. To compound the metaphor, a Hillary Clinton presidency is Russian roulette with a semi-auto. With Trump, at least you can spin the cylinder and take your chance. So th this is the article that, that kind of tried to synthesize all those arguments in favor of voting for Trump, even for people who didn't like Trump. And th this is the kind of article that, that really shows how polarized um the electorate has gotten in the United States and, the, and how polarized the discourse is in the United States, because you'll vote for your guy just because you hate the other guy so much. People will vote for Biden, even though nobody was really that enthusiastic about Biden because they hated Trump so much. Um, and I, 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 so, so, so I bring this up to make the point that the, it's not a sustainable, um, okay. So, so, so you have people like David French, who completely disagrees with me. He writes a book that's all about why the United States should never have secession and how we have to become more unified. And he has all the opposite views of me, but he sees this type of language as the, the he, he recognizes this as a problem. He recognizes this as, he recognizes this as something that's growing. And that, that's why he is terrified. But when I read this and I read the Epoch Times and I read that essay about how secession is almost something that's viable, I see it as the recognition of polarization and the honest way of reckoning with it. It isn't to just, you know, shake hands and agree to disagree, but keep um, using tyranny over each other. No, the, it's to agree to disagree and to split away from each other. And the fact that people have anchored themselves to the idea that the American experiment has to be one, one nation that continually flips uh, the people in power every eight years and then, then oppress each other with whatever policy preferences they have at the time, I think that's ridiculous. There's no reason why, why, why that's a successful thing that we should be clamoring for. Instead, I, I, I think that there's a better reason that we recognize things like the... the, the so it, it's important that, that we recognize things like the, this essay on the Flight 93 election. And we, 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 we take it and all the popularity and all the people who have cited it and all the people who have said, yeah, I agree with this metaphor and that's why I'm going to vote for Hillary or that's why I'm going to vote for Trump. You have to take that and recognize it, and, and you can't just say, that's a bad mentality, we need to stop that. You have to say, no, the, there's a reason why people have the, these thoughts. The, there, there's a reason why these sentiments um, are growing in people. And it's not just because of the way the media uses certain tones. It's not that simple. It's that everything that happens here is a unilateral policy that is forced on everybody. I mean, you can look at politics right now. And the Biden administration just met 50 votes and had Kamal Harris break the tie. The, they, they, they had Kamal Harris come in. You know, she if it's 50-50 tie in the Senate, she can come in. She, she can say, no, the Democrats win. And they, they passed $1.9 trillion stimulus bill with only 50-person, um, well, I guess a 51-person majority in the Senate. And they didn't even have to hit the 60-vote threshold that is normally needed for a lot of types of legislation. So we've already gotten to the point where a 50-50 vote broken by the vice president can result in almost $2 trillion of spending. Um, I, I, I don't get how much more people need to show that we have been polarized to such an extravagant extent where unity is something that is, is outright silly at this point. Um, 
and this is why you have people who like like Aaron on Timeline Earth podcast or Pete Quinones at Freeman Behind the Wall, who pretty much said, who who will pretty much say, I hope progressives do think that I'm a Trump supporter, even if I'm not, and I hope they think I'm racist, and I hope they think I'm evil, because then they're going to realize that the, the system that they're in support of, all that the the thing that they defend and they want more government is going to be run by people or is going to be um, co opted by people who are, are evil racists. And even if I'm not an evil racist, if they think I am, then they're going to realize how dangerous the system that they support is. That there will always be people who have the exact opposite principles, the exact opposite views, and are radically polarized. All of those people can fight over the same levers of power that they're trying to fight over. And if it works for them, well, if somebody like me got the control of things, then I would eliminate all the policies they're striving for. So it's there's an inherently oppositional nature that, that is bound to crumble, and hopefully we, we, we can hope that it would crumble in a peaceful way that, that, that could lead to maybe something like a peaceful divorce. And then people who are more like-minded can rule over each other instead of us, of, of you know, us forcing a $15 minimum wage on Alabama. So, okay. So, so, so then the other piece I wanted to bring up that I think also ties into this is, um, I, I, I guess I'll read off the Wall, the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, so, so, okay. So the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal has a piece called, and this came out a week ago. So this was on March 2nd. It's called Every Election Like 2020. And it's all about how the Democrats want to force through another piece of legislation called HR1 and pretty much everything that, that they did elections differently with because of coronavirus, such as mail-in voting extensions and all, all, all kinds of other extensions. They, they, they want to instill forever, and they also want to expand. So th- some rules are like sending, um, well, actually, I, I don't I don't want to get into details because I don't want to, I, I don't want to um, say something that's incorrect or factually wrong, and I don't want to, I, I, I didn't highlight the, the relevant paragraph. But, but essentially, it would expand a lot of things that they did this last year that have been highly controversial. So imagine that people are upset about the mail-in ballots being um, extended to people who don't have a quote-unquote valid reason. Well, now... Pretty much, I I, th- I think what they're pushing is if anybody asks for any reason, they they, they, they can have um, uh, the ability to vote from home. I, I'm not sure if it's just that simply. It could be universal mail-in ballot, which would mean they would send it to you and assume you want it mail-in. Um, I don't want to go as far as to assume that. But, but there, there are all these things that have become kind of flashpoints and polarized, and they want to expand them. And, you know, I'm not going to say that that's better or worse. But people already don't trust the election's outcome in 2020, I think to some extent for good reason. Um, I don't see why you should trust our government to run an election on on its face value. Um, I think people should be agnostic on it. But people, like a huge amount of Republicans, already don't really buy that our election was fair. And they they want to systematize it to be a, a, a similar way going forward. So all that's going to lead to is less. it's going to lead to less faith in elections. And then with less faith in elections and more tyranny coming from the top down that's polarized, you know, you're forcing 51 on 49, well, you're just going to get people who hate each other more. And that means more and more elections, even if it seems like two reasonable people, well, you know that their power is going to be used in an authoritarian manner that people hate. So every election is going to be that Flight 93 election. And you're going to have people who start saying more and more messages, similar to the guy over at the Epoch Times. And even if in the end he says, well, we can't have secession because of foreign policy, the article is straight up titled about secession. The, the, the article is saying, well, I'm not for secession, but, you know, I could see myself getting there. And if this is the direction the nation's going, people are going to be getting on that train more and more. And for that reason, I, I think with the more polarization we get, 
the more that people who consider themselves anarchists, especially anarcho-capitalists, are winning the culture war. Because even if there will be a lot of uh, potentially bad things that would happen, um, you know, for, for, from the collapsitarian type view, a lot of bad things could happen in the interim, right? If the dollar, like, drastically loses its value, that's going to hurt a lot of people. But all these things are shocks. And in the end, the, the status quo that we have that some people are defending is tyranny. It's tyranny of the majority. It's disgusting. And it's all coming down from the, from the top down. And even if, even if I would argue on a philosophical ground that, say, Alabama's own government is illegitimate, because not everybody in Alabama consented to be governed by the government of Alabama, you can argue that it's more legitimate than the federal government. And if that $15 an hour minimum wage kicked in, which luckily it didn't, then you can imagine a place where the median wage is much lower than the rest of the country having huge labor issues because the wages are pushed artificially up. And why would that be? Well, because of federal, um, because of the direction of the federal government. So, but, so, so, so the point is, it's really optim. This is an optimistic episode. A lot of episodes of this show are black pilled. They're, they're kind of telling you, here's all these people doing all these terrible things. But, but in reality, this is, hey, look, it's a guy who's the editor-in-chief of a newspaper that I would consider on the Trumpy right end of the spectrum, and he's starting to say messaging that is stuff that we can resonate towards. And everything that he's saying is rooted in a very valid sentiment that, that, that is very real and descriptively accurate about political polarization. And for that reason, I'm optimistic. Um, so, so, so to cut myself off before I get in a spiral of negative, uh, I, I, I don't want to give myself too much time or else I'll find a way to spin it in a way that, that is potentially depressing. Um, I'll, I'll wrap up and say you can find me on Twitter at, at the Obey Podcast or at Matthew T. Keck. You can find me on my other podcast, which is Beyond Talking Points, where I co-host with another Matt. Um, he's more of a progressive type, maybe, maybe maybe a Marxist or a Londonist or some type of anarcho an anarcho-Marxist, something of this sort. But we debate all kinds of things like economics, policy, philosophy, and have a good time over there. And they're pretty lively discussions because, as you can tell, I am a bit of a collapsitarian. I'm a bit of an anarcho-capitalist, so I have a lot of disagreements with, the, with, with people who come from a Marxist background or progressive background. So we, we have fun over there. Um, but for, for, for now, hope you enjoyed this one. Um, I, I know it was kind of freewheeling, but I just saw these three articles and I knew that there was kind of a way to time together and it's a way that I think is, uh, is optimistic for once. <laughs> okay guys. So I hope you enjoyed this one and sign off for now. It's Matthew Kick. Thank you. If you enjoyed the episode, Please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey podcast at anchor.fm slash Obey podcast or on Twitter at the Obey podcast. Until next time. Next time.